Good morning, church. It's great to see so many faces today. Great to know so many of you are joining us online as well. And as always, I'm grateful for uh, three weeks uh, away for study break. Usually a study break for me means uh, travel and, uh, and, and taking seminars and those kinds of things. And uh, uh, this year, uh, not so much. Uh, my uh, study break has been largely spent at uh, different hospitals with our daughter, Laurel. Uh, as so many of you have heard, she's encountered some, uh, some serious issues with her heart, and, uh, and we're really grateful for um, her uh, improvement and that she's out of the hospital. We're grateful for our medical team, uh, and we're, we're grateful for so many acts of, of prayer and love and kindness from you uh, over the last several weeks. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I've known for many, many, many years that it's a a privilege to be uh, a pastor of VRBC, um, but I've been reminded in this season of my family's life how great it is to be a member of VRBC and the ways in which you uh, love your people so well, and, and thank you for, for loving us and, and praying for us. I always get a little nervous when I come back from a study break because I, I know that summer is actually a, a time where we have lots of guests. and. I, uh, I, you know, I know that people come to the church for the first time while I'm away, and they really enjoy the church, and then they come on this Sunday, and it's like, hey, who's the old guy? And, uh, <laughs> well, that's a senior pastor. Oh, wow. You know, so uh, uh, I feel a little pressure. But uh, as John mentioned, uh, this is week two of a series called Rocky Road. We're looking at the life of a guy named Simon Peter. The name Simon I guess means Simon, uh, I didn't look it up, but, uh, but the name Peter means rock. And uh, it's a nickname that Jesus gave Simon. And uh, when you study Peter's life, it's like sometimes he seems the opposite of rock, and then other times you see him living into his name. And I think that's a comfort for you and me because we don't always live up to our spiritual destiny either, but we know that Jesus is patient with us. And, uh, and so today, I want us to take a look at uh, Simon Peter's personality. I want to talk about his wiring, if you will. And as we do, I, I want to ask a favor of you. I want you to reflect on your personality. I want you to reflect on your wiring. I want you to reflect on your strengths and weaknesses. You know, I would venture to guess that there are at least as many types of personalities in the room today as there were animals on Noah's Ark. Uh, some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, some of us like me are introverts who play extroverts, uh, some of us are somewhere in between. Some of us are quiet and some of us are loud and some of us are mostly quiet but can get really loud. Uh, some of us are impulsive uh, and some of us are cautious. Uh, some of us, uh, you know, we, we all have different kinds of intelligences. Uh, some of us have, uh, are smart with words, and some of us are smart with numbers. Uh, some of us are smart with people. Some of us are smart with, with tools. Uh, we, we have different kinds of gifts. We have different kinds of weaknesses, different laughs, different sneezes, different coughs, different mannerisms. Sometimes our strengths have shadow weaknesses. Like we may be decisive in a crisis, that's a strength. But in normal life, we're very impatient, and that's a weakness. Or maybe we're discerning when wisdom is called for, and that's a strength. 
But in normal life, we have a hard time making a decision. The same is true for Simon Peter. He is a, a unique collection of strengths and weaknesses and, and virtues and, and vices and temptations. And I think in this one passage we're about to read, we see the highs and lows of his personality. We see his strengths and weaknesses so clearly on display. And so I want us to look at this as we read Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. God bless the reading of his word. So the question I want to ask, that I want to trace through this passage, that I want to trace through our lives today, is how does Jesus work with our wiring? How does Jesus move through our strengths? And how does Jesus give grace in our weakness and in our failure? I mean, we, we don't just need Jesus on our best days, right? We need Jesus even more on our worst days. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage. And, and the first thing I want to do is I want to focus on the, the big picture. You know how when you're, you're taking a picture with your phone, uh, sometimes you'll do landscape mode, right? It's, it's a group picture. You want to get everybody in the picture. But then sometimes it's just one person or one or two, and you'll do portrait mode. Well, in a sense, that's kind of the map for the sermon. I want to begin uh, with landscape mode. I, I want to begin not looking at us as individuals, but, but looking at us as a church. How does Jesus deal with us as a church with all of our strengths and, and weaknesses? And then later on, we'll move into portrait mode, and we'll look at Jesus and Peter, and we'll think about Jesus and us. But I think it would be a, a win if we could, first of all, just picture what I read to you. If we could take these words of Scripture and sort of create a, a landscape, create a, a backdrop in our minds, a wide-angle lens of Jesus and, uh, and his disciples, Jesus and the church, if you will. Um, I want us to see how Jesus relates to the disciples as a whole. And I hope that what we see in this kind of landscape mode of Jesus and the church is going to be a big encouragement to us because we will trust him more in the crises that we face just as the disciples were learning to trust him. 
And so here's what you're going to need as you're filling out this landscape. You're going to need like a, a, a dock, if you will, a boat dock. And then you're going to need a mountain. And then you're going to need a stormy sea, all right? So let's kind of create the landscape together. Our passage begins, Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 people. <clears throat> Some wanted to make him king, but instead of soaking in the applause and announcing his candidacy, uh, he immediately dismisses the crowd, <clears throat> and then just as immediately, he dismisses the disciples. Look at this in verse, in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, while he also dismisses the crowd. So, you know, bye-bye, right? Uh, crowd, bye-bye. Disciples, bye-bye. You go there, you go there, okay? Uh, and, and, and why did Jesus do this? Well, he needed uh, some solitary time. That's one of the things you notice again and again when you read the, the life of Jesus in, in the four Gospels, is that Jesus, I don't think it's too strong a word to say, craved communion with his heavenly Father. Because look at what he does in verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, <clears throat> he was there alone. Now, we don't have a transcript of what Jesus prayed, but we can make some educated guesses. We know that it was, as I mentioned, Jesus' frequent pattern to, to be alone with God. And uh, we also know that he loved to pray on mountains. We find him doing that many times. And I think this is really like a good place to pause or just ask a question. Do you have a favorite place to pray or favorite places to pray? Not that you're limited to prayer by being in those places, but, but that's a good thing to think about. Maybe uh, when it's not 103, maybe it's outside. Maybe it's on a, a porch swing. Uh, maybe it's on a walk. Uh, you have a little route that you like to walk, and, and that's a great time to pray. Maybe when you're commuting by yourself, you turn the radio off and and, and just spend some time in, in prayer. Um, maybe it's a favorite well-worn chair, uh, perhaps with a cup of, of, of coffee or iced tea or ice water by your side. Do you have a place where you like to pray? Jesus loved to pray on the mountains. And, and, and I believe that uh, what we see in this specific prayer is that Jesus probably has a, a pretty important agenda, and that is, I think he is praying for his disciples because Jesus knows that his disciples are going through a storm. Now, they've been through a storm before on that lake. In fact, back in chapter 8, they were in a storm, but Jesus was in the boat that time. And now they're all alone, or at least they think they're all alone. And they're afraid. The scripture says it's the, it's the fourth watch the Romans divided the night into, into four sections, and this is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They've been fighting the storm. They're afraid, and they're so fatigued. And verse 24 says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, and they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I think Jesus on the mountain is praying for his disciples who are in the midst of a storm. And I think that's important for you and me to remember because what does suffering do? Suffering so often isolates us, doesn't it? Pain and fear trap us in prison. We feel alone. Often we feel God forsaken. But what if, what if maybe for some of you in this moment in your life, when it feels like the fourth watch and the wind and the waves, 
and you feel all alone. What if we take to heart Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7.25? What if we take to heart the truth that Jesus lives to intercede for us? That Jesus prays for us? That Jesus prays for you? And not only does Jesus pray, but Jesus also approaches us. In fact, Matthew states it so matter-of-factly, doesn't he? In, in verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, ah, walking on the lake. Some people in a scientific age struggle with this supernatural power of Jesus. It feels like a science fiction movie. It feels like animation. It doesn't feel real. But for me, I think, you know, Jesus, he's the son of God. Uh, he's the co-creator of the universe. And we see his supernatural power. He's the one that rose from the grave. And, uh, and we see his power so often when we're in pain and when we're afraid. We see this Jesus fulfilling promises from the Old Testament, like Isaiah 43, do not fear, church, for I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, church, I will be with you. <laughs> Psalm 107, when the sailors cried to the Lord in their trouble, he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still. This is the same Lord who comes to us as he came to Peter and the other disciples in verse 27 and speaks a word of courage. What does he say? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, I am, in other words. Uh, It's it's the same uh, words that God speaks to Moses at the burning bush. I am, it is I. Jesus comes to us when we're in the storm, the wind and the waves. Recently, I heard a pastor uh, named Paul Walker share what I thought was a really intriguing insight about church architecture. Have I lost you yet, church architecture? Stay with me, stay with me. He said, when you enter a Gothic cathedral, you enter from the, the lobby, but because it's a Gothic cathedral, it has a special name, it's called the Narthex. And when you enter into the worship center or the sanctuary, it also has a, a special name. The, the seats that you're sitting in would be called the nave. And so it's narthex or lobby, and then nave kind of all the way up to the, the altar. Now, do you know what, want to know why it's called the nave? It comes from a Latin word navis, and navis means ship. Think of the English word navy, right? In other words, when you come in to the sanctuary, you're coming in to the ship. In fact, maybe you've seen before a lot of cathedrals have vaulted roofs. They look like inverted keels. It looks like kind of a, a, a ship turned upside down, doesn't it? Now, why? Why would, you know, uh, architects of Gothic cathedrals create a, a nave? Well, it turns out that early on in the church's history, like maybe just 100 years after Jesus rose from the dead, the early churches began to adopt the symbol of a ship, a gospel ship, uh, as, as a symbol for the church. For them, they liked the fact that the mast looked like a cross. 
And, and they like the fact that uh, the, the church kind of is, is led by Jesus, is led by uh, Christ on the cross. And then they also felt like, you know what, the church has a lot in common with, with Noah's Ark. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 sometimes it's dark and dank and, and uh, we're, we're tossed about on the waters. Uh, as Paul Walker says, we're tossed on a sea of disbelief, worldliness, sometimes persecution. And all the while, we're trying to reach safe harbor. We're trying to reach our haven of rest. We're trying to reach heaven. That's us, church. You're sitting in the nave. You're, 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 you're sitting in the boat. This is the gospel ship, right? It's not only a rocky road to Christian life, it's a rocky voyage. And I like what one writer has said. He said, sometimes the church feels like Noah's Ark, and it stinks to high heaven inside the boat. And he said, the only thing that keeps us in church is no one will drown if we leave. How we need to know that Jesus prays for us, that Jesus comes to us in the scariest moments of our lives when we are seasick and when we're scared. So that's the first miracle I wanted you to see. It's that landscape mode, Jesus and the church. But there's a second miracle, and that's what happens with Jesus and Peter. It's the portrait mode, if you will. But it's not just Jesus and Peter, it's Jesus and me, it's Jesus and you. So just to recap, it's 4 a.m. The storm's still raging, by the way. That's a key detail. Jesus has not calmed the storm yet. Some of the disciples think it's a ghost, but Peter asked his question. He's still not exactly sure the voice that he's heard, the image that he sees, but he asks a question uh, to the one who says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And he asks this outrageous question, and the question that Peter asks has launched a, a theological debate, which we'll get into. But let's look at the question here in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, tell me, command me, I don't want to do anything you wouldn't command, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, here's the debate. What are we to make of this question? You see, there are some commentators that see this question in a positive light. There's some commentators that see it in a negative light. I'll start with the positive first. Some commentators say, what we see here is we see Peter's humility, right? Tell me. But we also see his boldness. I want to walk on the water with you, I, I want to reach all the, the, the heights that you want me to reach. They say that when Jesus says, come, that Peter shows his courage by stepping out onto the water. Right? Eleven other guys stay in the boat. <laughs> but Peter courageously joins Jesus on the water. Right? Look at Peter go. Right? Way to go, Peter. But then notice what happens in verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, now you can't literally see wind, but the effects of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Oops. <laughs> I mentioned some people see what Peter does in a positive light. Some people see it in a negative light. They say Peter was impetuous. He was impulsive. It's, it's just like him to want to go out on the water without thinking it through. One commentator says, don't confuse Peter's enthusiasm to walk on water with faith. He was just being impulsive. <laughs> and to be sure, it's not the last time we'll see Peter do something impulsive, right? 
When Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, Elijah and Moses show up. Right? What does Peter say? Well, let's build three tents. And, and he, he said that because it says he didn't know what to say. So he just kind of threw something out there in, impulsively. The same guy who tells Jesus, I'll never betray you. These other clowns maybe, but not me. A few hours later denies him. And wasn't it Peter who cut off a soldier's ear at, at Gethsemane? So here's the question. The question I wrestled with commentators about. Is Peter bold and faithful? Is he impulsive and foolish? That question is really the reason why I was so excited to preach this sermon today. Because I think the answer is, he's both. (laughs) He is both. And you are both. And I am both. I think at times we're courageous and at times we're cowardly. I think at times we're bold and at times we just don't think things through. I think at times we walk on water, so to speak. And at times we look at the wind and sink. Dale Bruner says that Peter is a symbol for all believers. He's full of faith and unfaithful. His life is one of feats and failures. One minute he's meditating on Jesus and walking on water. The other minute he's meditating on the waves and he's sinking. But fortunately, Jesus does not leave Peter to sink. You want to know my favorite word in verse 31? It is the first one. Immediately, (laughs) Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? One commentator says that Jesus saves before he scolds. (laughs) He, He reaches out a hand immediately before he talks to Peter about faith. Now, why is this important? Well, as we've said in the, in, the, in the landscape view, Jesus comes to the church, right? He comes to us on the, on the journey. And, and, and we need him to come. Because as churches, churches face their share of waves. We face struggle. We face heartbreak. We make terrible decisions sometimes. We do things that break God's heart sometimes. We grieve over pastors, churches, denominations that cover immorality and abuse. The church can feel like Noah's Ark. The church can smell pretty bad sometimes, right? But Jesus prays for us. Jesus comes to us. The storms that rock us are no obstacle for him. Take heart, church. Your Savior has his eye on you. Your Savior is never far from you. But like I said, I I, want to delve a little deeper into this portrait mode with you and Jesus. Because I, I bet if we were to be able to go around the worship center today and each share, we would find that if we were brutally honest with one another, that Simon Peter is not alone. Our wiring may be different from his, but there are parts of our wiring that seem to fire nicely, and there are other parts of our wiring that are faulty and, and kind of shorted out. There are strengths that Jesus regularly uses, and there are weaknesses that cause us to sink. Maybe, for example, maybe you're an outgoing person. You're the first person to greet a new neighbor or a new guest and make them feel at home, and that's great. 
But sometimes your outgoing nature means that you uh, can't help but stick your foot in your mouth because you say things and you later regret. Maybe, on the other hand, you're the strong, silent type, and you get up early and stay up late, and you take care of your people, and that's great. Sometimes your people need you to use your words and let them know that you love them. I don't know your wiring, but I do know two crucial things about you. You are made in God's image, and you struggle with sin. You were, you were created by God, and you're a sinner. And so the good news for you, the good news for me, is that Jesus is Lord over all of you. Jesus is Lord over all of you. What does that mean? It means whether Peter is bold or reckless or both, Jesus is Lord over all of him. It means that when Peter asks for faith enough in Jesus' power to join him, right, on, on the choppy water, Jesus says, come on, let's go. And when Peter's weakness is showing, when Peter's fear overtakes his faith, what does Jesus say? Sorry, bud. <laughs> Should have trusted me. You're on your own now. No. Jesus lets his hand do the talking. I think this is double good news for us today. Maybe for you today, there are spiritual gifts and talents Jesus has given you. There are, are strengths that you have. And, and Jesus is saying to you what he said to Peter. He's saying, come, come on. Let's use that strength to serve others. Jesus is giving you a, a talent that he wants you to invest in double your investment. Right? Maybe a good question for you to ask is, what is a talent, a strength, a gift, a passion that Jesus wants me to invest more this week. Can you hear Jesus saying to you, come, climb out of the boat. Let's do this. At the same time, as you review this past week, perhaps, maybe you can see pretty clearly where your weakness has been on display. One of those sins that you really, really struggle with. Maybe it's anger or jealousy. Maybe it's lust or gossip. Maybe it's cowardice or impatience. Maybe it's trying to control everything and everybody. Maybe it's trying to avoid responsibility and, and blame shifting. It just feels like you, like Simon Peter, have been sinking in faithless sin this week. And yes, Jesus wants you to have more faith. It breaks his heart how little we trust him. But he's not going to let us sink. And you know what else? Your wiring, with all its ups and downs, your wiring can help us realize how important it is that you're a part of the body of Christ. Because we need you. We need your strengths. And you need us, especially when you struggle. I'm going to be a little self-reflective here. Uh, I can uh, sometimes get really down on myself about my weaknesses. You know, uh, I'll just name a small one. I'm not going to name any of the biggies, uh, but I'll name a small one. I'll, I'll just name one. It annoys me a lot. I really wish I knew how to fix stuff. Um, I am the opposite of a handyman. Um, I'm terrible at it. Decades ago, uh, we volunteered to help at a, a Habitat for Humanity house, and the foreman who was running things 
uh, saw me show up and read my name on the name tag, and he said, uh, he said, what are you good at? Uh, I said, Greek. <laughs> he said, no, no, I mean like, you hang drywall, do you lay pipe, do you, can you frame doors, windows? And I was just like, nope, 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 nope. And then he said, I, I guess we'll put you over in unskilled labor. That's what he called it. <laughs> and handed me a broom. Now, I can and regularly do get really down on myself about that. Right? I really wish, uh, sometimes I covet uh, those strengths. But at the same time, over the years, I've discovered the Lord has given me some strengths. Uh, you know, when it comes, say, to helping families, uh, who are going through grief, families that lose loved ones. And I'll be honest with you, if, if the Lord had like taken me through a spiritual gift mall and said, pick out whatever you want, I, I might not have picked that one out. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, but, but when someone dies, me knowing how to hang drywall doesn't really help them much. Um, but maybe using the gifts that God has given me does. And here's what I've discovered. Through the years, God has given you so many of the gifts that I'm terrible at. And God has given me a gift or two that, that you need in times of struggle. And that fact, guess what? It causes us to lean into one another. It causes us to depend on one another. It causes us to give thanks to God for one another. Our weaknesses can cause us to become humble and our strengths can cause us to become grateful for the ways that God uses us. Sometimes at a wedding, I'll read from Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, it's a great word for married couples, but I think it's an even better word for the church. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Friends, if two are better than one, what about 10? What about 50? What about 500? God has made us different and beautiful. And when we work together and, and love one another, when one of us falls, we won't stay down long. And even when we fall and we're alone, even if no one else reaches out, there's always one hand that immediately moves in our direction. And that's the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, through your word today, you've given us an opportunity to look not only at how you love the church, the gospel ship, amid the wind and the waves, but how you love each of us, Lord. Each of us with our strengths and our weaknesses, our virtues and our vices, our faithfulness to you and our sin. And Lord, you love all of us. And you came to die and rise again for all of us. And you're Lord over all of us. And for that, Lord Jesus, we say thank you. And we fix our eyes on you. 
and we look for your hand as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.